Welcome to the CityDAO podcast. I'm your host, Eric Gilbert Williams. CityDAO is exploring decentralized asset ownership on chain, starting with a simple piece of land purchased in Wyoming during 2021. Each parcel of land becomes an NFT that can be owned collectively by the DAO or by individuals just like you and me. CityDAO is a DAO. In other words, it's a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning that land governance, treasury, and other things, including this show you're listening to right now, are all managed by the community. Check out the FAQ at citydao.io to learn more, or check out the CityDAO Discord channel to get all the latest updates. Now let's get started with the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this third part in the CityDAO Citizen Series podcast. Today, we're going to be doing a different format than normal. This is a recording that was done on our Discord channel. It's an AMA done with Brian Peets, who is involved in numerous DAOs from Bankless DAO, CityDAO, uh, DAO Punks, uh, Polygon DAO, and uh, is also a co-founder in Sobel. And this is a question and answer series that we did live on our Discord recently. And we thought to put this into a recording format and share it on the podcast here with all of you as well, because, well, I mean, this is part of the Citizen Series. This is where you get to know people who are part of the CityDAO community. So this is not going to be an interview conducted by myself. It's going to be a lot of questions popped up on Discord that are sort of just uh, reviewed and answered and discussed. And that's the context of what you're about to hear today. And then the next series will be back to the traditional interviewing format that you hear on the first episode. So without further ado, I'm going to let Ryan get started and I hope you enjoy the show. So yeah, I live in Canada and I'm a Canuck. I say A a lot. I apologize a lot. And I've always kind of been interested in innovation um, and how things work since, you know, I was young. And so I got into engineering, originally in mechanical engineering, working on like passenger trains. So I used to fly all over the world and was in a consultancy that was kind of like Ghostbusters for trains is, is kind of what we called when something was going wrong. And they'd call us it was a small little consultancy. And so I learned a little bit about like how organizations work when they're like delivering big stuff. And like, I got fascinated with organizational design really early on and kind of like lost interest in the technologies because there wasn't a lot of innovation happening in the real world, as you can imagine. And so it's funny that I started my career in the, like the industrial revolution kind of technology space and the types of organizations that, you know, existed, you know, that are very mechanistic in design. It's not just they're designing machines. Like, the way they've set up government organizations and the way they write the specifications to procure these rail vehicles and the way in which, you know, the organizations exist. And so it's just like classic enterprise and government. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of innovation there. And so I left for the mythology of Silicon Valley and what we now affectionately and maybe not so affectionately call the Web 2.0 era. And, you know, it sounded like they were doing amazing things by comparison. So I got really interested in like, these declarations of the being flat and agile. And so I got into, you know, a small team that was rapidly growing on the other side of a seed round and just sort of rotated around the business, curious about how it was working and got into things like product management, design, you know, did tours of duty. And basically I realized that it was kind of true when it was small. It was a lot of virtue signaling um, as things scaled up. And so watching startups in the Web2 space scale up I became really disillusioned with the, you know, relationships between founders and capital, between founders and employees, and the sort of the incentives and dynamics and informational asymmetries that exist in a traditional hierarchical organization. I sort of watched this beautiful thing like a startup start to turn into exactly where I'd came from, which was that, you know, rail, the the antiquated rail um, industrial revolution enterprise organizations. And so this, I watched these things effectively become traditional corporations and like very quickly transition into behaving a lot like these enterprise organizations. And it sucked the innovation and, and the joy of working there right out of it. And so I started to really dedicate myself to trying to understand how you keep that amazing feeling alive, where you feel really aligned to the work you're doing, able to make decisions quickly, but collectively. And so that led me into eventually trying to understand how, what, what sort of organizational experiments there were out there. So Teal, Holacracy, you know, Sociocracy, to name a few, and these self-organizing, self-managing systems that go way beyond like agile and traditional Silicon Valley models. And, and eventually this led me into reading about decentralized autonomous organizations in 2017, 
because of the DAO hack, because of some really cool governance sort of primitives that were being highlighted on the Ethereum website. Took me to Ethereum, uh, sort of the ETH Waterloo or the first uh, Ethereum online, uh, sorry, uh, ETH global event in Waterloo, Canada, and, you know, saw Vitalik speak, met Joe Lubin of Consensus, and been wanting to work on these types of challenges ever since. And so we formed a team inside of Consensus, which is Sobel. And then we actually just kind of waited around for DAOs to come alive. We saw MakerDAO kind of signaling they were doing it very early, but it wasn't until I saw Bankless DAO in May where I was just like, holy smokes, this isn't just about decentralized finance anymore. Uh, the, the DAO thing is going to happen. You know, we all saw what happened last year. So for me, my journey started at in season zero, Bankless DAO. And just watching all of this, and I couldn't get enough. So, you know, City DAO in the early days, as you mentioned, you know, Chance, you know, DAO Punks, um, NFT crew, and the Polygon ecosystem DAO were places I've played um, since, as well as like, it's hard for me to say no when somebody's like, hey, can do a little bit of advice or, uh, you know, do a one on one session with us relative to, you know, what we're doing in our DAO. And I just, I love thinking about how DAOs grow, scale, and fulfill that vision for like, more meaningful work um, and, and fairer and equitable reward distribution schemes compared to the world I come from. That's awesome and, and very true, the, the difficulty around uh, saying no when there's new projects come up that you're excited about. And I didn't know you were involved in consensus and that's how Sobel started, it's super interesting. What are some best practices or patterns you've seen emerge in DAOs that you're excited by? Yeah. I'd say the most exciting thing, and I'm watching it, we're on the cusp of it, you know, really strongly emerging here in CityDAO too, is the concept of sub-DAOs. And so, I mean, as a DAO scales, it kind of runs into some challenges, the same kinds of challenges that I saw in sort of scaling startups on the old Web2 model, which is like, you have, you start getting faced with this polarity between like, uh, structurelessness and chaos, if you kind of just keep it free form and, and, you know, sort of in DAO sense, everything has to run through the root DAO governance mechanic. And you're just getting like, you know, proposal spam and challenges around like coordination and decision making with everything trying to flow through that funnel, which is fine when you first start and you're small. But eventually you kind of need to start to understand your units of scale. And sub DAOs are the way based on patterns I've seen starting to work elsewhere. And these patterns actually relate to other patterns I've seen work in experiments that have existed prior to DAOs existing, like those self-management, self-organizing spaces that I mentioned. And it's just because you start to create uh, sovereignty and autonomy for teams where they can have sub DAO governance, sub DAO membership, sub DAO treasury management in the form of multi-sig. And you're just making decisions on you know, sort of what guilds, projects, work streams, et cetera, should exist, how much funding they should be getting at the sort of like root DAO level, if you will, or federal level, you know, if you like using governance analogies of, of feather st feather, federal, state, regional, and you start to create the ability to create still that freedom and autonomy, but be structured, effective, and have units that are small enough that they're able to sort of stay agile and not have coordination failures because they're like, They've got their specific mission and autonomy around, you know, the funds required and the, and, the, and the talent required to execute that mission. And so they can get the job done versus a traditional enterprise organization attempting to do that top down. They oversteer that group or they centralize the, you know, the budgeting and stuff like that. And it, you know, they don't, sure, they have units and lines of business and stuff, but like with the lack of autonomy that like, a multi-sig provides and the permissionless talent stuff that's happening in sub-DAOs, like that's freaking exciting. And I think it creates a unit, unit of scale that overcomes some of the challenges that self-organizing and emergent systems like DAOs have often criticized by those who are like bullish and maxi on enterprise. And enterprise has been doing it for a long time and they figured it all out. So y'all should just calm down and go away. And I think sub-DAOs are the way. That's awesome. And I see there's a question already. I think what challenges do you think DAOs will face in becoming more embraced by the public? Yeah, I mean, my just like my first reaction would be the usability of DAO tooling stacks. I feel like the way we are today, there's a lot of dialogue happening in our space around like a lack of diversity, right? You know, and folks are, are rightfully challenging that many of the early adopters, you know, have 
have shared views, shared backgrounds, and there's some shared traits. And so there's an opportunity for more diversity. I get really excited when I see, you know, things that are trying to, to help with that, you know, accepting where we are today, like, you know, Boys Club and Web3 baddies, etc. I think there's something like to me, and maybe it's my bias of working on DAO tooling, but I think when we're Discord centric um, as we are, then those who are like, digitally native and or gamers. Um, this is not an overwhelming experience because it's one we've, you know, figured out how to overcome as we were coordinating with one another in forums or in, in gaming uh, guilds and environments and even the language surrounding it. So there's a user experience that is attracting, you know, a certain, uh, certain audience that has certain experiences. And I think as DAO tooling is today too, it's definitely there for those who like to tinker and bring it together themselves, right? Like, you know, the number of tabs I have open as a DAO operator and the way in which I group them by the DAO that I'm operating in. So like, you know, if I go to City DAO, I open up my tab, I've got like the Gnosis multi-sig. I might have that Gnosis also loaded into a Zapper Finance uh, tab just so I can get a better view as to what's inside it. I've got my forum in Discourse. I've got Discord in the native app. I've got Notion, although lately, you know, more so Clarity for obvious reasons that they're a little more Web3 friendly. And so just that in itself, an unconsolidated experience, is just too daunting for some of the people who I've talked to who are even enthusiasts about DAOs coming from that sort of teal holacracy self-organizing space. But they're just like, whoa, there's no way I could put this in front of our community because that's an overwhelming experience in comparison to the sort of streamlined experience tools and platforms we work with today. And so that's one sort of key area for me. I think the other, and this one is a bit of a chicken and egg, which kind of relates to this, is like if you see someone like you in the space or you have a friend who helps you come in and on board, I think there's something about this like friendly welcome wagon. And I was really inspired by the the Boys Club podcast with, you know, Bankless HQ recently, where they were sort of talking about how they were approaching onboarding their friends and some of the, you know, unique objections or, or challenges that their friends had in looking at the space as a place for them. And so I think like there's an element of that, of like reaching out to people, educating and helping them understand that this can be a place for you and your interests. Oh, your And this is evolving, right? Like if you were just into finance or technology, that's all there was available to you up until about 2020, I'd argue. And then last year, it's like, oh, you're into media, you're into social clubs, you're into art, you're into merch, you're into metaverses and gaming. Like, well, no, there's a place for you here now. So, and I think by nature of the fact that you see that it's more easy to come in and yeah, I think there's a ton of others, but I think that kind of touches on the typical themes of like sort of education and a good experience for those who who may not have the ability to overcome the, the experience as it is today. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And that's definitely something that's emerging now. And, and as a, an issue that the industry is sort of collectively realizing, OK, how do we solve this? How do we get more people involved in all kinds of ways? Because you're right, like Discord is very gamer focused and it comes from that world. I actually made like a 30 minute loom video for my day job manager over Christmas holidays and just explaining about uh, Web3 projects. I think I used Alpha Girl Club as an NFT project. And nice. she was just like, wow, the barrier of entry for this is just crazy. That's just so high. She's like, that's nuts. And this is someone who's, you know, she's a rock star person at a tech company. And she's just like, that's a lot. That's, that's uh, not super friendly. And just to give a, a shout out to some upcoming talks, we actually have two people that are going to be joining for one of these calls from a project called Surge, which is specifically set to, their their mission is to help onboard women into Web3. And so we've got some really cool, we've got some people in the CityDAO community from there. And some people, we're going to have a, a crypto lawyer from Argentina, who's doing a lot of really cool work. She's part of that community. And then hopefully someone else who's also working on governance. And, and so they'll, they'll probably talk about Surge as well. How would you define a guild and a sub-DAO? And what are the differences? Do sub-DAOs need to have their own separate legal entity? Yeah, I mean, it is a great question. I don't think DAOs even need to have a, a legal entity necessarily, but some, some obviously benefit from having one, like investment DAOs or DAOs like ours trying to buy land um, in, in, in real life and not just in a metaverse. And so, yeah, I think first off on the legal entity thing, probably not required. And it's a case by case basis at any sort of layer of the DAO and DAO verse. The other element where you say like definition of a guild and a sub DAO, 
I mean, I think this is like really open to interpretation. And I think it's going to be interesting to see in the spirit of standards and how they kind of like emerge. And, and I think a lot of things are, you know, sort of emerging right now. And there are many definitions of things. But to me personally, a guild is actually a talent or, or functional or skill set aligned, you know, group. And so that's partially because of my background working inside a bankless DAO. So in bankless DAO, they have guilds and projects. A guild is a place, you know, there'd be like design guild, legal guild, writers guild. You can see how those are very like skill set aligned. And, you know, they help welcome talent. They help orient talent to projects. And they have some guild-aligned projects that they incubate under themselves. Like, so it's obvious that Writers Guild can very quickly incubate a periodical substack because they all the skill sets they require are right there in their guild. But you know, projects in Bankless DAO, another what I would call sub DAO unit. So, but bo- bo- I'm going to say that both of these things are sub DAOs in my personal definition of a sub DAO. But I'll get into that portion of your question in a second. The projects are much more cross-functional in nature in Bankless Guild. And so they're more mission aligned, like what is the mission of of Bankless DAO? And then a project is attempting to do something that moves the mission forward and often requires multiple skill sets or members from multiple guilds to come and play on the project team to make it happen. And so you can see in an ecosystem like Bankless, you kind of need both of these units, more building blocks as sub DAOs. And each of these apply for funding to the grants committee in the Bankless architecture and so they become sub-DAOs. So if somebody proposes a new guild should exist, you know, they will, they'll basically propose to the grants committee what their guild's going to do, how it's in service to the DAO, what sort of talent they're going to congregate, and how they're going to contribute, and they'd ask for budget. And then they would end up getting a multi-sig, which gives the guild autonomy over the funds and how they use them to execute in accordance with what they said. Project, same thing. And so for me, that starts to get into the definition of sub-DAO. To me, a sub-DAO is, is sort of a unit of autonomy that behaves a little bit like a micro-DAO, and it has all the same attributes as a DAO covered off, but at a much smaller you know, spot, uh, size often, and like is given that mandate autonomy and funds by the DAO's sort of you know, governance constitution or, or sort of mechanics. And so when I say that they have to have all the building blocks in order to be a sub-DAO, it's sort of like... They have to define what it means to become a member. So to become a member of a DAO, it's often this collab land gate um, with tokens. But to be a member of a sub DAO, it might actually be something different that you know is required to become a member. Like you attend meetings and you contribute. You know how are funds raised? Well, like you know at the main DAO level, there's you know the treasury and the way in which the treasury gets climbed. Obviously, at the sub DAO level, I talked about how funds. Um, move into their local multi-sig at the sort of blessing of the of the root DAO and the governance mechanics that govern funding and how it's distributed. And so you can kind of get this idea that all the parts that make a DAO a well-functioning DAO are required typically to make a sub-DAO a well-functioning sub-DAO. And if the sub-DAO is too dependent on external elements, then it hasn't really picked up the autonomy that gives it the ability to fast, make decisions locally and get stuff done um, in accordance with the mission it's signed up to. That's another building block that obviously exists between sub-DAO and, and a main DAO is, you know, they have to have a clear purpose and mission and what they're doing and how they're going to be accountable to the funds that they've been granted by the members. And so I think one other interesting thing about sub-DAOs, if we're on that, is the idea that sub-DAOs can start to, they can incubate inside of a DAO but over time might actually migrate to being like an independent DAO in their own right. And so it's like, I think Bushi and Sinjin are on the call and a neat story of Bankless DAO is how the DAO Punk's NFT project kind of starts within, but then all of a sudden it's got a server of its own and it's, it's in its own direction with its own community and not operating day to day inside of the Bankless DAO. And so it's like, yeah, is this a sub DAO? Probably, but like I think there might be a different sort of terminology that we haven't yet discovered regarding DAOs that have kind of like spun out and are like almost in the orbit of the you know as part of the bankless ecosystem, you know, if you will. And this gets even crazier because of sort of the composability of things, which like you can also go the inverse in DAOs and kind of do something that's a proxy for how mergers and acquisitions happened. 
and you start to see token swaps and progressive token swaps when DAOs start to work together. And eventually it can start to even move to, in essence, it's as if their communities have merged through those, those token swaps. And so you can pull, pull DAOs really tight to your orbit. And that would be like a sub DAO inside the server, still feeling very much a part of the community. And then you can have those sub DAOs move out and you can have other DAOs move in. And I think there's, we still haven't even discovered entirely what this is really going to be like once we really unleash it in the coming months. That's wild to think about and pretty amazing to think of how the, how these sub DAOs and how these communities can partner in these unique and interesting ways and in the ways you just mentioned, super interesting. One thing I'll say too, for anyone, if you're interested in adding a question, just show a request to jump on stage. And then when there's a break, I can add people in. Or you can do as people have been doing in Town Square text. And on the DaoPunks, I think DaoPunks is a super cool project, really interesting mission, really inspiring mission. Could you just talk about what the mission of DaoPunks is and anything around that you think is relevant? Yeah, I mean, I'll do my best. But like, I actually just encourage folks to go and read the DaoPunks manifesto or pull Bushi and Sinjin up onto the stage to uh, as, the, as sort of the two of the prime instigators of DaoPunks and helping lead out there, I think they would just do a much better job than me. But I'll sort of share my version of it and why I fell in love with Dow Punks. Dow Punks, first of all, is is taking that sort of art and merch as a seed of inspiration for the movement. And this is what I've always loved about like punk movements. It kind of starts with the art and the culture first. And it it gives art and culture a chance to lead out, which is just awesome, right? And so you know you, you've got these folks excited about what's going on in DAOs uh, like Bankless DAO. Um, this is me, the outside, looking in and the story I tell myself in my head, you know, but uh, thank you. That's awesome for the manifesto. And basically, they're just inspired what's happening inside of DAOs. They want to start to express it through art and see more of this happening. And by just declaring that and with the way in which, you know, NFTs can act as a catalyst for gathering community, you know, you've got folks buying NFTs funding a treasury, and they're excited about this whole DAO punk thing and becoming DAO punks. And immediately it starts to kind of, you know, as someone who was in there in the early days and watching, and my perspective it was there was a lot of excitement in the server in the ideas channel because Bushi and Sinjin were declaring, hey, this is going to be a cool NFT project and we're going to do something really innovative by combining like one of one merch with one of one NFTs. And that these NFTs with their sort of three-dimensional, cool, full-body shapes are kind of moving past the, you know, the typical PFP project of the time. And so, you know, you got these fun identity markers. You've got this incredible sort of, you know, move in the merchandise space to have like this one-of-one customized merch that you can claim um, in that neat mechanic. And it gathers a whole bunch of people who care about the idea of there being more Dow pumps in the world, more opportunities to work like this. And, and moving and vibing with them. And so, you know, there was lots of really neat ideas about, oh, hey, how do we, do we do education? Do we do grants? And do we do podcasts and media? And like many of these ideas I see sort of emerging, but I was happy to be party to, to an early proposal within this community around a grants. It's kind of inspired a little bit for, for me by watching how Vitalik actually, you know, received a Teal Fellowship, I believe which, you know, Peter Thiel uh, gives those to drop out of university and go pursue their amazing ideas um, in its simplistic form. And so, you know, one of the ideas in my head being like, hey, there may not have been Ethereum without something like that. So why I was excited about this in DAO punks and it, it gained some momentum and like a DAO can, it's really come to life with some of the recent proposals that have passed. They were looking at taking portions of the treasury and moving it into grants that help people who are interested in going from being part-time DAO contributors to taking the leap across and going full-time as sort of a first maneuver to create action against this manifesto. And so like, yeah, end-to-end, art gathers community, gathers funding, and produces action towards the manifesto. And I just think that that's that's really cool um, to see stuff like that happen versus the old way, which was like single person or extremely small team has idea goes get capital, you know, makes their idea happen, maybe community gathers, not sure if that's always going to be a healthy. Yeah, definitely. Super, super interesting to hear about that around Dow Punks and, and that just the topic in general about how these communities are forming around bank 
accounts and, and you know, as in, and then comparing that to traditional startups and corporations, that sort of thing. On that line, I'm curious, what are things that DAOs could learn from, from traditional startups that could help them in whatever their, their mission or that sort of thing? I think it's usually we go the other way, but curious your thoughts to flip it. Yeah. Okay. So I think something that traditional startups did really well, or I just like would argue the web 2.0 movement did really well in comparison to like the the era before it that I mentioned that I was exposed to in the passenger rail industry. Web 2 nailed it with agile and lean. They overextended it, which is the case of any innovation curve. But in terms of organizational dynamics, if you think of the old waterfall project management with Gantt charts, where they would try to predict the future perfectly and check all the dependencies and guarantee that they're going to deliver a rocket ship in X amount of time. That method of doing things obviously broke down when we got into a world of software and the innovation of the Agile Manifesto, which then brought about tons of tinkering in how you do Agile project management of like listening to your customers, trying to figure out what they need and sort of like keeping a continuous flow of delivery. But more importantly, this was the seeds of self-organization. You know, if DAOs are the full expression of self-organization at all layers of the organization, the Agile Manifesto didn't just bring about a better way to deliver software. It started to build a better way of working because these teams felt much more empowered. And that was the word of Web 2.0 was empowered, that the system is finding a way to kind of give some of your power back to you by the grace of the great management team. And so I think this agile project management thing should not be ignored in tactical execution inside of DAOs. It was also a means of like, you know, if you look at the Spotify model, also understanding these concepts before DAOs of like, hey, there are project teams or, you know, delivery oriented teams and they're cross-functional in nature and they use these agile methodologies, but they're they're bringing people who have diverse sets of skill sets. So they actually kind of want to be more in guilds too where they can talk about, you know, how they approach uh, design standards, brand standards, and they can congregate around um, tech standards and tech stacks, but at the same time, participate inside these project delivery teams that are using these agile of like sensing what's going on um, and what the needs are and figuring out how to pipeline that and deliver continuously and test. And that's where that lean thing comes in, which put something out there, test it, iterate on it. Don't think that you can design it top down perfectly. And I think that obviously got overextended and has produced some of the challenges that we're we're now facing today. But we should be cautious not to throw out those innovations and build upon them whilst also respecting where the limitations be felt. Like the move fast and break things thing obviously has limits. And I think Vitalik's post that's considering how Web3 brings back some more thoughtful and methods which are slower, right, of governing things. At the same time, there might be room for bulldozing still too. So I think those are some interesting things that come from how we previously worked that I really still uh, appreciate and think we should look to. Awesome. Thank you for that. I think we'll go into a couple more questions this time around Sobel, and then we'll go as to audience from there to see where we go. So question around Sobel. You mentioned kind of the the origin story a little bit, how it, it got started in consensus. Could you just tell a little bit more around Sobol? Like, what are features you're excited about right now? What are things you guys are working on? And also for fun, where'd the name come from? This is a side, uh, <laughs> the context. Brian actually has instigated me to read two and a half books at this point. Probably come up in this answer. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, so... Yeah, a little more um, origin story. So after our, our fateful uh, conversation with Joe Lubin at, at ETH Waterloo, some of the early founders of Sobol went into the consensus mesh, which in 2017, you know, was a rapidly expanding proto-DAO, um, if you will, because there was governance mechanics around deciding how we would invest funds in Ethereum-centric ventures. And so it was kind of like a venture studio run by the participants of the venture studio, so it has a lot of the mechanics early days of, of like DAOs, but there was no on-chain governance because that stuff wasn't built yet. And so, yeah, many of the projects, it was kind of inspiring to us. We were thinking of like, we were noticing that they were using new ways. They were very much inspired by all of the literature and the theory around what a DAO could be. 
And they were starting to bring up the primitives and also experiment with like end applications very early on. And there's there's some amazing projects, you know, that have made it coming from that portfolio. But there's also some ones in the graveyard that I'm watching like, oh, that's the wrong time because another variant of it right now or very soon. What was interesting about this portfolio and why we were drawn to it, Sobel co-founder, because we were fascinated by these dynamic, fast-moving organizations with decentralized decision-making mechanics. So to be able to incubate from within and just understand what the problems are that you face as something like this takes off and rapidly scales. And so we just started doing sort of that like design thinking and customer interviewing from the inside about like what problems people were facing and like what they loved and about the experience and what wasn't working. And the biggest one came out to be like, this place is super cool. And I love that dynamic and so many different folks. One minute I'm in MetaMask, the next minute I'm working on Infura. This is amazing, but it's chaos. I can't get a clear picture of what's going on. And so we, we started to realize that being able to see a clear picture of how your organization is evolving when it's rapidly changing and can't be shoehorned into an org chart of who reports to who, then you kind of need a dynamic map. And when you have that, it enhances trust. It helps you understand what's going on so you can make better decisions around how to change it. It helps you avoid things like redundancy, because when you scale up to a certain point, not even the original instigators, core team members, and OG know what's going on because the thing has a life of its own, these sub-DAO mechanics and funding models that we're talking about. And so uh, Sobel was like, we want to solve that problem. And so we started tinkering with it. The other reason it was a lot of fun was because we recognized, unlike Web 2.0, where all of these types of platforms become the sales forces, the Atlassians for project management, the net suites for ERP and like the work days for your HR system, the Web2 platforms attempted to consolidate control and user experience and then therefore host the marketplace of apps. And we saw sort of this sense of composability early on. And, and so inside the consensus portfolio, Sobel very early on would experiment with like integrating with Uport, which was an identity system for logging in with Web3-based identity. We played with OpenLaw, which is now the Lao and tribute DAO to sort of see what it would be like to have like employment agreements that are streaming payments that are signed using your Uport identity. Like these early experiments kind of gave us a sense of like how integrations in the DAO tooling space would take place and how it's kind of like there's on-chain um, and Web3 based um, stuff that needs to be kind of married up um, to your DAO map and the layer zero people oriented stuff. And so Sobel's mission is to map that and then marry it into all these protocols that are emerging for DAO ops um, and DAO governance. And so where are we right now? I mean, we're integrated to the social systems and the social layer. We went people first with Discord-based integrations and lots of synchronization there to start to draw maps of what's going on in a DAO. But where we're going next to your other point in the question that I'm very excited about is, you know, in a matter of days, we're going to have a first super simple integration to Gnosis Safe, and we're already tinkering with a number of others and some collaborations, you know, that we've got going with like digital identity providers like for digital identities, like, uh, sorry, decentralized identities um, and verifiable claims as a means of moving past just wallets and NFTs. And so, yeah, we kind of have like a bit of a vision for being a flag bearer and one of the members of the DAO tooling stack that's working with others to sort of lift up your DAO resume, if you will. And then the other thing that we're really excited about, kind of what Zapper does for your DeFi portfolio, it's kind of like this beautiful front end that gives you a perfect view into what's going on. And then you can jump off into all the protocols that you're interfacing with in your DeFi experience. I'd love to see Sobel, um, and we have some things on the road, make us feel a lot more like that hub and jumping off point where you gather context, see what's going on. It's plugged into all the protocols. And then off you go into your governance or your treasury sort of setup. And so this is where we are and where I think we're going. And I think we're going to be collaborating with the full DAO tooling stack as we go. And I'm really excited about uh, self-sovereign identity and the role it plays in your sort of DAO reputation and DAO resume without sacrificing on things like privacy or your ability to kind of like swap in and out of wallets um, and identities without some of the issues today of a pure on-chain resume. So yeah. And then last thing, the name, 
<laughs> it's from a, a series of books that would be categorized as techno thriller by Daniel Suarez called uh, uh, Demon and Freedom. Uh, Demon is actually like kind of daemon to um, so the ever running program. And it was a set of books that inspired us because it was uh, basic premises, uh, technology reshaping uh, how humans organize and coordinate and overthrowing the, the oppressive regimes. And like Sobel's all about that. Is it true that those books partly inspired the original Dow? Or is that just a myth? See, I can't speak to that because <laughs> I wasn't involved in the uh, the original Dow. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised. I, I know that series of books has found its way around sort of the typical Silicon Valley and, and tech circles because of, you know, sort of the topics. And in many ways, they're kind of like a modern, really accessible Neil Stevenson, you know, who did uh, Snow Crash, Cryptonomicron, and all the others that are kind of... Cut brought about the the term metaverse. And so for those who are into these sort of uh, techno sci-fi uh, things, I wouldn't be surprised if there were members of the original DAO who were in some way inspired by some of the amazing human coordination uh, stuff that was done on top of like more or less what today we call blockchains. It was a combinations of, you know, blockchains, AI and AR that they were using to, to sort of take over the world in a very interesting way. Awesome, thanks. And now we're going to shift to some audience questions. Awesome. You have the stage. Hi, Luana. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for this awesome detailed presentation about DAOs. And uh, we can notice your passion, which makes a big difference. I have a little question about the regulatory side. Like, how do you see governance? Because DAOs are becoming more and more serious. And their opinions that some binding rules are needed. What do you think? Yeah. Thank you for your feedback and kind words. And, and this question, I think this is like, you know, it's a really complex topic. And so like, I think this will just sound like a, sound like a trite soundbite sort of thing. But like, yeah, the caveat on this would be like, I think, you know, governance in the sense of like governments and the rules, regulations that exist there, I think innovation has always outpaced our ability to absorb absorb that innovation into our legal systems i think that's inevitable but at the same time it it often creates a you know an interesting tension and feedback loop and blockchain obviously is massively doing this but it's not new to technologies um, or new ways of organizing i mean in the web 2.0 movement there was around airbnb and uber and how that conflicted with taxi you know, related regulation or, you know, sort of leasing um, and rental vacation properties uh, and local bylaws, et cetera. And so in the original internet copyright, right, like Napster and some of the challenges around copyright and lessons when you start sharing information. And so I think blockchain is just like stumbled into that now, except, of course, for all the things like, you know, securities and commodities, banking, et cetera. And so as well as sort of like, you know, some of these these other things, like I think adjacent to the blockchain space, like all the digital nomadism that, you know, culturally yeah. a big thing in here is also creating like challenges. Jurisdictions, maybe. Yeah, jurisdictions, right? We've, we're all very passionate about starting to blur the lines on those things. And again, that starts to gum up against like, you know, immigration policies and laws, etc. So like, I don't know, I just feel like we over the last century or so, and particularly in the last few decades, we've been innovating on that more exponential curve. And it just means that we're exponentially breaking legacy regulations. And those systems are organized using those antiquated, old, slow moving systems that mm -hmm. I mentioned. And in some ways, that's a feature, not a bug, because you rapidly whip your laws all over the place and rule of law. But at the other side of things, I think it can't even possibly keep pace these days. We still haven't sorted out some of the copyright related challenges and freedom of speech challenges that existed in the early 90s internet started to come on. And so I think this is going to be an interesting journey. And I don't know what the answer is to your question other than we can't ignore it and we should care about it as DAO, you know, citizens, especially in DAOs like this that are trying to operate as city DAO is with Wyoming and state state laws and the new DAO LLC uh, stuff and taxes, et cetera. But like, I, honestly, it's going to be a mess and a bit of a uh, shit show. And I'm, I'm curious more than anything to just see how it plays out relative to this question you're asking. Yeah, let's hope not because blockchain, it's really a great innovation 
and uh, it has also the consensus mechanisms and it's easier to regulate than more complicated things so i hope it will become easier honestly yeah anyways yeah thank you no thank you and i think it does bring along some unique gifts you know i mean the spirit of like transparency auditability there's some pretty shady stuff that happens in the banking industry when you really get down <laughs> into it and like you know these decentralized exchanges and automated market makers like based on pooled tokens i'm like i'm in love with those versus like what i saw when i was watching the gamestop situation unfold in citadel and 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 how you know market making today and some of the ridiculousness and I think there's some unique gifts, and I think that progressive, open-minded lawmakers are going to understand that there's some problems to be solved, even though some new ones have been introduced. Yeah. One last thing is that we basically didn't legislate Web2, and it's kind of a mix because many of the Web3 is not done yet, so... It has some some different perspectives because many legislators think that Web3 is the same as Web2, which is different. So maybe blockchain mechanisms will uh, will change this. I hope so, so for my two daughters' sake. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Joanna, we have another question. Fabian, are you open to... Oh, yeah, you're up, coming up. And you can put your hand up, Fabian. I'll... Check first. I see Mr. Maven has a question, so I'm pop on here and then Fabian. Hello. So first off, I am thoroughly enjoying this conversation, and uh, I've been taking down some notes. And particularly what you were saying about guilds and sub DAOs and the composability between the two, and how they can leave one organization and go to the other. All incredibly interesting. So my first question is actually just uh, B Pete's. Do you have a Twitter? Because I follow Chance already. I do. I do. Yeah. It's at Brian Peets, I believe. And yeah, yeah, I'll drop it in the uh, Town Square text uh, later as well. Okay, great. Do you post about DAOs over there or? I do. Yeah. I wish I was able to write a lot more than I do. One, I'm like, I'm jealous of how Web3, I've noticed that a lot of people have like this, this gift of being able to articulate their thoughts through writing. And I think it elevates the power of that when you think of like a well-crafted proposal and how fast it can fly through a governance system and gain action. Mm-hmm. And I'm personally was more practiced as an orator and the gift of gab to some degree. And so I'm learning to write more, but bear with me as I do. Some of the threat, because I'm not writing at a high degree of frequency, what you'll find in my Twitter is every once in a while I go on a topic. And so I've talked about identity and the Dow resume and like my personal experiences relative to that. I've talked about token weighted governance and some of my, you know, sort of two-bit thoughts in comparison to, you know, some of the awesomeness of, say, uh, Vitalik's, you know, posts around these these topics. But yeah, I tend to try and relate it to my own experiences in DAOs as much as I can. I just followed you. And if you ever want some help or, you know, somebody to write something for you, if you want to just talk it out, I'm really happy to do that. I am a writer. That's like my area of expertise. And you just have a lot of amazing ideas. So, you know, just going to put that out there if you ever want somebody to write something out for you. Yeah, come uh, join us in the Sobel server. We're, these are the types of things we want to decentralize as we aggressively decentralize our project. So <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Oh, I look forward to that. Uh, chat, man. Awesome. Yeah, I just followed Sobel as well. First time I heard of it, obviously, today. All right, well, I won't, I won't bore the audience anymore with uh, these, these personal questions. I'll get to the good stuff. So I'm wondering if you can update us on how these types of concepts like that you're discussing, such as sub-DAOs, guilds, contribution payments, projects, like you were, what you were talking about, how Bankless DAO operates. I'm wondering if you can update us on what are the guilds in City DAO, what are the sub-DAOs in City DAO, how has this emergent behavior happened in, in this particular DAO, you know, how many people are there usually in the audience versus people that are contributing consistently. And I'll stop the million questions there. Sorry. Okay. No, uh, no, no, but sorry. yeah, if you could just give me an idea. Yeah, no, no, no trouble. So I mean, in a season zero, and I've had I've had the luck of being able to be a part of a couple of DAOs in the early phase. And in the early phase, it's you're still discovering what you're trying to be and do. And most people just like show up because somebody threw up an awesome and inspiring tweet. And in the case of City DAO, that's Scott. And when Scott was like, hey, this thing just passed in Wyoming, like we everybody piles in the server and you get sort of your first your first major push. And so in the early sort of phase of a DAO, you've got sort of this inspiring message 
And a bit of a call to action might be a bit ethereal, but you know, there's often like a picture of like, wouldn't it be cool if, and then people just arrive. And so it's really emergent. It reminds me of like the bazaar or the marketplace in the sense that it's like, hey, similar to what we just had as an exchange. It was like, hey, I'm inspired and I have this unique gift. And similarly, I'm kind of signaling implicitly in that ad, hey, I'm not a very good writer, but I love talking about these things. And we start to kind of see these informal agreements and clustering of skill sets and interests start to move something forward. And so to get at your question of like, you know, city DAO and guilds and projects, like there was one project, it was Scott's declaration, we should put some land on chain and ideation around a pragmatic first step to, to sort of doing that or proving out some of the challenges or having some risks associated with. So you got some people contributing risks, you got some people, but we all feel like we're a part of one guild in that small nucleating stage. Very quickly, when something starts to become a little clearer um, or subdividable after, in this case, a couple community calls, you start to see like different sort of initiatives emerge. Well, okay, if we're going to do this, we need to continue to be clear about what we're doing and maybe gather some because we just got started in Scott's cool tweet is gathering some people, but let's let's get more to come and join us. And so we need to build a website starts to be declared and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah. So you've got people now, you know, starting to declare, hey, I can support that. I'm good in web flow. Hey, I like to design things. Hey, I like to kind of help coordinate projects. And there's a channel that's emerged and there's kind of a micro project website. Didn't last very long, but you would, it was almost like a little, little micro project or micro guild, if you will. Another sort of micro guild that kind of spun up at the same time was the design guild and the dev guild. So we did for a period of time in that early phase, just on this simple little project to get a website up, you website project and then a design guild and a dev guild and, you know, folks coming together and trying to move that forward. And then it was finished very quickly, I think one or two weeks. Then the parcel zero game starts, the primary mission. No, no, no. Like, let's actually raise funds, buy land drop land in tokenized format. Okay, so now we're talking and that one's been longer standing and living and brought in cross-functional skill sets. And I'd say that's the primary unit. Other guilds emerged, again, in, as emerged, you know, sort of natural channels um, and chants kind of acted a little bit like a gardener as a community lead in bank, uh, sorry, in uh, city DAO. And you start to get sort of like, hey, bunch of legal people are putting their hands up. I'm going to build a legal channel. Hey, now there's this. And like over time, Chance has been kind of grooming season zero, and that's just my own terminology, kind of emergent landscape. But in terms of like, hey, absolutely declaring what are the projects in the guilds? Well, no, it's been pretty emergent and fairly unstructured, despite sort of the efforts of some of the core team members. And I think with the kickoff of this council and the council election, there's a mandate to start to add what are the, you know, the units of scale, autonomy and accountability, aka the structure um, and the processes and practices by which we sort of maneuver, you know, aka governance and many other mechanisms, onboarding, etc. And I think what the council's about to do is sort of set us up for more clearly defined architecture of guilds, projects, whatever they want to call them here, local maker DAO, they're called core units. In other places, they're, they're called different things, work streams, I think, in Shapeshift. Anyways, I think those units are going to be defined. They're going to say, probably try to create a declaration for us all what exists. And I would imagine that based on my past experiences and kind of what the council might do is they're, they're probably most importantly going to define what is the you know, sort of MVP playbook, constitution, set of guidance that allows us to now continue to emerge more additions more contractions to this structure as a DAO and not requiring sort of volunteer gardeners and curators or core team steering type stuff. So yeah, sorry, long-winded answer, mister, but I think that's kind of like also gives a fun story of like how city DAO evolves and how many DAOs have time to add structure in. Yeah, no, that was a beautiful answer. Definitely very captivating. I understand what you're saying about uh, the gift of gab. So for this council, I'm new to CityDAO. I just recently read a lot about it. I'm, I'm incredibly excited. There are similar projects, you know, that I've witnessed that, you know, start off with, hey, let's get some land on the blockchain. But now that you got the land on the blockchain, now it's kind of like, okay, you have this network state term coined by uh, Balaji, you know, this mm-hmm. cloud community that you're now going to bring to IRL. And now with 
that comes so many questions of, you know, what are our values? What do we want to build? Are talk about natural resources? And, you know, you were talking before about what are the things that we need, design, lawyers. So yeah, what's what's the purpose of this council? Are you saying it's mainly to create that structure so more emergent behavior can occur? Is that the main point of it or am I missing something? Yeah, here? And, I, and I think, you know, part of structure is something else that you're hinting at, which is, you know, sort of that mission, vision, values, you know, sort of thing. And like Scott's tweet and the early conversations inside the server really laid that down, you know, for season zero. And I, I get the sense that like, the council is trying to act as curators now that the community has broadened to to ask the question of like, oh, you know, how do we do our best to articulate this given where we are right now and, and all the who have gathered here? And I think that's not the type of thing that you can do in a fully decentralized way. And so I think the, the, the mechanism of you know, sort of elected council to act as curators and authors is a really smart mechanic. And I've seen this work in, in other DAOs and in non-DAOs that is decentralized. Like some of the most su- Occupy movements aren't always successful. Some of the ones that were successful use similar techniques. A, a somewhat centralized team gets together and creates a mechanism for digitally sensing the voice of the decentralized community that's in the arc. And they start creating proposals and act as an interface, you know, steer in a new direction. And so I think that's just, sorry, a weird tangent. But the, the aside basically is I think the council is a great, from what I can observe um, around basically adding back just a little more sort of structure and definition based on where we are with a total respect for the idea that as we grow projects beyond parcel zero, it'll continue to evolve. As in other DAOs, you know, Bankless started with the manifesto of 1 billion go unbanked. I mean, we help make it possible and safe to do so as a, as a media. Over time, there's been minor tension and evolution relative. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a a taking stock and refactor of that. So I think this thing can evolve and it's all it is, is like absorb the scale that happened at CityDAO over the course of the last few months on its um, and community growth and just create a new set point that makes us feel stable enough to start going fast and doing wild and interesting and ambitious things. That's awesome. Thank you so much. And I don't think that that was a tangent, by the way, about what you were talking about, how they could be an interface for steering kind of the digital voice either in the direction of the council or the council can interpret what the digital voice is of the community and what it is of the council and try to make that common ground because ideally, right, the government works for the people. So ideally, you know, those (laughs) visions would be, you know, the same. Yeah, totally. Okay, so last question and then I'll get out of here because I've been hogging the stage. Sorry to everybody in the audience if if there's more questions. B. Pete, what is your ideal vision for on-chain contribution payments? And what have you observed in DAOs that have done this well so far? Yeah, it's a stack. It's a stack where that is composable and therefore liberates, you know, more tools at your disposal in terms of incentivization and rewards. And so then that's at a high level what I believe is coming. It's because what are we intention with? We're intention with the traditional, you're either a full-time employee and entirely behold with that weird sort of parent-child relationship that emerges between an enterprise and an, or you're a freelancer who's doing gigs or you're, you know, on the gig economy, like Upwork or something like that. And like, that's cool because at least some of those are relatively opening up freelancing and how that's been enhanced and how things like this sort of like gig economy job boards of Fiverr, Upwork, et cetera, uh, Uber, you know, for driving, they started to kind of atomize work. Basically, I think blockchain and DAOs, you know, can atomize it even further. And so, you know, some early experiments are sort of showing this. And so I don't think there's a one size fits. And I would argue that each sub DAO will probably make its own localized decisions as well, and which will be important because they will have a better context of locally what it's going to take to incentivize, you know, engaged talent relative to their their mission. And so this is a long-winded way of saying like the, no one model is correct. So I love the hybrids that have emerged when I look at Bankless DAO. So for example, there's coordinate used at the local level. There's hybrids of like role-based salaries because it's like, hey, this is undefined work, but like the time period will be defined. So we're going to work a season together and there's, you know, we need three developers on this. And we think developers should be stream tokens at X. And then, you know, developers might come in and say, 
mm, token streams and trying to set up front, sure, that at least acknowledges undefined because defined work obviously has done better as a bounty. You got quick defined work, use bounty. Bounty is great for engagement of new talent or trying new talent on before putting them on a on a role stream, salaried work or contract work. But then eventually you get into this sort of contracting, you know, we go over across the season and because of the way things work out and our different skill sets and the way the work was flowing through, as a developer, some of us, hero effort moments and others had life circumstances kind of pulled away. If we're all on a fixed salary, even if it's a three-month season and we could readjust it at the end of the season, there's fluctuation. So, hey, why don't we do a coordinate at 40% over top of a, which is a peer-based, we'll do that monthly or we'll do that seasonally. And underneath it all, you know, the other 60% will be this role-based token stream, sort of mimicking a salary. If you. And then at the end of a term, we'll do elections or we'll have a mechanic for nominating people to come become core bound as a means of like trying on for size, whether they want to work team and still get remunerated for their work. You know, and then you throw in like methods like source cred or govern.io uh, who are starting to like, look, you know, what types of activities in the more sort of like bite-sized things, whether it's like posting a proposal in a forum or having a uh, something in the Discord server votes on it. These are micro contributions. Maybe we bring these into the mix in some amount. And I think like that's just kind of like just a couple of the primitives that I see out there today. And people are already starting to play with like blending them and understanding how they get used at the local bank list in addition to the coordinates at local level at the DAO-wide level on a monthly basis as well. Now, they don't overly incentivize too much of a popularity contest, but not having anything there at all, I would argue that people who are working very DAO-wide aren't necessarily picking up tons of remuneration at the local level. So there should be a global level that's helping them be recognized for their contribution, particularly folks like community men. So yeah, I don't know. Sorry, super long-winded again, but I think it's just like more of that, please. And that way we all can find some form of work um, and remuneration that matches our personal style of work and, and individual needs. And we'll let market dynamics solve the rest. It's, it's really awesome and, and really interesting how you said it's the atomization of work even further. It is a bit confusing, though, I'm not going to lie, because you are talking about all these different structures and experiments, because we're still in the DAO experimentation phase, which I assume we will be in for at least the next one to three years, like yeah. of all these different ways that you can pay people bounties as a way to get that initial project done and also kind of judge talent. Really interesting. I still have a lot of reading to do, clearly. It's just, uh, you know, I wonder if one way, you know, like one way that DAOs onboard contributors and pay them is going to emerge, or if, like you said, at least for the foreseeable future, all of these different experiments are going to be taking place. Because I think about what is the difference between bounties and Fiverr? What is the difference between blockchain atomizing work and freelance work. Right now, I feel, and also I'm ignorant, right? Like I'm new to the DAO space, but like right now, I feel like it's not too different. Like obviously- yeah, that's the, a fair assessment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. We're, we're borrowing uh, from the existing system in many ways, but I think we're, yeah, we're all creating opportunity for it to happen in different ways as well. And it's hard for me to put my finger on it so new in the sense that like I have to go to Fiverr to do the Fiverr type experience and build reputation in Fiverr. Whereas I think what's happening this time around might result in me being able to more fluidly move in and out of these different models versus like, no, I'm employed. No, I'm a Fiverr guy. Like, I think the level of investment the pace at which you can switch, the cost of, of onboarding will decrease and the, the speed at which you can move and the mobility, not necessarily the that the mechanics are amazingly different and new. All right. Well, thank you so much for everybody in the audience. If you guys are interested in building a network state, which clearly you are because you're all, you're all in CityDAO and also interested in DAO tooling, DAO infra, please hit me up, message me. My Twitter is Mr. Maven. As you can tell, I love talking about these things. It, it stimulates my brain in a way that is just like unlike anything else. So B Pete's and Chance, thank you so much for getting me up here. And B Pete's, I uh, look forward to looking more into Bankless and your project, Sobel. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. Hey, thanks, Mr. Maven. Those were some awesome questions and I enjoyed the chat. Awesome. Thanks, Mr. Maven. And welcome. That was a great way to, to, to join the DAO. It's awesome. Really great contribution right off the bat.
We have another question, but I think we're, we're, we're already past the time that we promised and I want to be respectful of Brian's time. And so I'll, I'll just tag you, Brian, in that, that question after in async whenever is comfortable for you. And I just want to say thanks. This has been absolutely fantastic. As you, I think everybody in the audience can probably see why when this idea came up, I was like, okay, we have, first, I have to ask Brian to be on here. This is going to be the perfect opportunity because every conversation I've had with Brian, I always leave both A, I've learned something and I'm super inspired. So thank you so much for this. I think, I think everyone here probably feels probably the same thing right now. And yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks a lot. And thanks everybody for coming and adding these really thoughtful questions. Yeah, this is really cool. I'm super excited about this. Thanks for the chance. Thanks, thanks Chance for the, the chance to be here. I've really enjoyed my personal and this was just so much fun for me because I love types of topics. And uh, thank you everyone in the audience for sharing with us and your thoughts. Hope you enjoyed the show, everyone. Thank you for checking out the CityDial podcast. Make sure to uh, share episodes with your friend and reach out anytime with questions that you might have. Reach out on Discord or reach out to me directly. Would love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking it out. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye.